welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. So today we're reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there are some boxes in the aisles, uh, you can grab one. If you don't have a Bible at all and you would like to read one, then please take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, we'd love you to read it. It's a life-changing book, as both people have shared this morning. So let's read together 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters... Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Thank you, Luke. Well, when you've been given a gift, you should definitely use it. And most of you would know that one of the gifts I've been given is that I have an angelic singing voice. And so it's always good when it coincides with the name of a sermon that I can sing the sermon title to you this morning. I know you look very excited about that. And so the title of the sermon this morning, someone's nodding their head over there going like this. The title of the sermon today is We Are Family. And I'll sing the rest and bless you with it today, but you're probably thinking if that's how the sermon starts, it can only get better from here, and that's probably true. But today, I want to wrestle with this theme of family. And as you're quickly scanning back over the passage, the five verses that we just read, you might be thinking to yourself, how do we come up with the theme of family? Well, you may have missed it, but I want to point you to the first seven words of verse 1. It says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters... Now, maybe you think that sounds just introductory. How can we make a whole service or a sermon around this idea of family when really that's just a brief introduction? But as I was preparing this week, I vaguely remembered Paul throughout the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians using this phrase a few times before. And so I thought I'd go back through the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians and just find out exactly how often he had used this phrase, brothers and sisters. Do you know that in every chapter of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he uses the term brothers and sisters, and in many of those chapters, he uses it multiple times. And so, as I said a moment ago, this phrase tends to be an introductory kind of a phase, but I believe it's actually far more than that in these letters. And if we don't stop today and consider that, we may just miss its significance for the Thessalonian church and by extension for us as well. And so if you go back to the very first chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, for the first time, it makes its appearance. It's in verse 4. It says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. In the second chapter, verse 1, it says it again, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. In chapter 2, it's also found in verse 14 and 17. In chapter 3, he says it again in verse 7. In chapter 4, verse 1, 6 and 13, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. In chapter 5, verse 1, 12 and 15, the same phrase. And then we flick over into 2 Thessalonians. Once again, we see it in 1 chapter 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. 
And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love you have for one another is increasing. In chapter 2, once again in verse 1, 13 and 15, and then three more times in chapter 3, including the first verse that we're looking at today, chapter 3, verse 1. I think Paul is continually re-emphasizing to this, these people who are part of a young forming church that they're not just a random bunch of people that find themselves together doing church together, but rather they are part of a family and it's the family of God. And so in the midst of the trials and persecution that they were going through, they should find, primarily find their strength in God. We all know that. But they should take great comfort and strength from the fact that they're doing it together. They're journeying together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, two of our sisters in Christ went through the waters of baptism. And what a wonderful thing that is. And that makes today a family celebration, but it also makes it a party. We're here today. This is a family party celebrating with two sisters in Christ, a very significant milestone in their life. And so for Ash and Gemma, we're here to support them. Today, they're surrounded by members of their biological families. And that's wonderful to have you here. Uh, You're always welcome any week. Um, We can't guarantee they'll be baptised every week, but you can come back any week you like. But they're not only surrounded by biological families, they're also surrounded by what we know as the family of God. Now, who knows here that families can be wonderful, but they can also be messy? There's a few people that know it here. You all know it because you're in a family, right? We all know that families are great, but sometimes they can be messy. And one place you wouldn't find that is Facebook, um, or what some people refer to as fake book. Uh, Because everything on Facebook is really just the good stuff that's presented, right? And so you don't wait till one of your kids has another tantrum. Get their iPhone out, film it, and go, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. Post, love heart, hashtag family time. You don't do that, do you? You don't wake up with a massive zit and go, yes, selfie stick, profile pic. You just don't do that stuff. When it comes to Facebook, we want to present the best, don't we? We want to present that everything is good here and that we're a wonderful family. And so when it comes to families, every day, if you scroll through Facebook, you'll find thousands, maybe millions of photos, and they really look like perfect family photos. And so we look at that and we can fall for the trap of going, wow, I I wish my family was like that. And that's a really, it's a trap, isn't it? It's wrong thinking, but you've also forgotten what it's like to get a family portrait. Because it's always quite a process, isn't it? To get all the family together at once to take a family photo. It's usually chaos leading up to that click, isn't it? You know, like usually the mum is the one driving the family portrait. And so she's there saying, oh, your hair's a mess. And they're cleaning up your hair and, oh, you've got stuff all over your face. Come here. And that's just with her husband. And then she's got the kids, you know, and there's always that one kid who's a bit of a space cadet. And if you're here today and you're one of those kids, you know, and you're sort of looking around, you can't sit still. And there's another one throwing a tantrum and there's another one who just will not smile. You know, that one kid, it's usually the middle child. And they, that wasn't in my notes, but it was a Holy Spirit thing. Um, Usually they just won't smile, you know. If that family is anything like our family, we kind of go into bride mode, you know. Like if you just smile, if you just smile for the camera for this happy family shot, you can have Maccas on the way home. But I don't want that because I want a lollipop. You can have a lollipop, you can drive Dad's car, just smile for the photo, right? And then and eventually, in what is it, I can only describe as a modern miracle, at the same time, all the family members will look straight ahead in the same geographical location and they'll do this. <laughs> Click. And everyone go, looks on Facebook and they go, look, the perfect family photo. All the posts start coming, don't they? Beautiful family, stunning, perfect pic. If only it was a video. And they saw the disaster before, 
and the disaster after. Because the minute that photo is snapped, Mom, he pinched me. Oh, shut up, your kids are always fighting. Oh, come on, love, they're just kids, they're just having fun. Oh, it's all right for you, isn't it, Mr. Popular? I've got to do all the discipline. <laughs> you know? I don't know if that sounds familiar, um, or maybe it's just my childhood, I'm not sure. I'm too scared to look at my mum right now. It's the awkward thing about having your parents in a church. But family fortress can be quite difficult, and yet we present that we're these perfect families, and yet each of us are in a family. So we know what we see on Facebook is not always what families are like. Families can be messy. And it's the same with church families. You know, we're placed in a church family. And a church family like this can be wonderful and intimate and incredible, but it also can be messy at times. And I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that you can choose your friends. How does the rest of it go? You're stuck with that bunch, right? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And it's the same with a church family. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your church family. Why? Because God chose them. And he placed them here. And this is what Hayden was talking about last week in in verse 13 of chapter 2. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you. And so we're united together in a community like this, not by our biological, the blood of our biological parents, but by the blood of Jesus who died on the cross and has brought us together and placed us in the family of God. And this is what I believe Paul is consistently trying to communicate, perhaps even drum in to this young church in Thessalonica, that God chose you. He's forgiven you. He's paid the price for your sin. He's given you a hope for the future and he's placed you in family. He's placed you as part of the universal family of God throughout the world and throughout history But he's also uniquely placed you in this expression of God's family in this local region. And you know what? It's the same for us today. God has placed us here. You've been chosen by God and you've been placed in this family for this season of your life. And it's no accident. It's not a perfect family. But as a church planter and in my unbiased opinion, I think it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good family to be part of. And thank you, Hayden, for nodding your head. Everyone else is like, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. I reckon it's good. It's a great family to be in, right? It's not perfect, but it's a really good. And the thing I love about it is that a family like this will give you many opportunities to, you know, flourish in your giftings and grow and journey with people. But on the other side of the coin, it will give you many opportunities to apply the gospel of forgiveness and grace and patience and kindness and love, even when you feel like people don't deserve it. That's one of the things I love about the family of God. You know, your biological family, you have a lot in common. In a family like this, you journey with a lot of people, and a lot of people you don't have anything within common at all except Christ. And yet Jesus places you in a family like this, and there's colour, and there's vibrancy, and there's differences, and it's a glorious thing to be united around Jesus. And one of the things I love about this is that as a Christian, you should never, ever find yourself alone. And in a place, in a world where people long for belonging and acceptance and love, this is incredibly powerful and it can be absolutely life-changing. And I think this is one of the great opportunities we have as a church in a developing region where people often feel isolated, that we can create a community here centred around the person of Christ that can help meet one of the deepest and most basic desires of our hearts and that is the need to belong. That no matter what you've done, where you've been, 
what you're like, what your personality, background, country you've come from, it doesn't matter. You belong here in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing. In a faith community such as follow, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who you can link arms with through the ups and through the downs, through the tragedies and triumphs, the victories and the struggles. God calls us together. He gives us a mission to share the good news and he puts us with each other to journey together. And that's an absolutely amazing privilege. And so this morning, have a look around to your left and to your right and in front of you and behind you. Do a 360 degree scan of the room today. And what you'll find is that you're surrounded not by just a random bunch of people, but you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this morning, if you don't know Ash and Gemma, you've got a great opportunity to get to know your sisters in Christ today, to go and say congratulations, well done, to encourage them, support them, pray for them. If you've never met people around you, then why not meet them today? Get to know your fellow follow family. It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Your fellow, follow family, your FFF, not your BFF, your FFF. Get to know your FFF today. And the point is this, that as a family of God, we stick together, we trust one another, we love each other no matter what because we're family and that's what families do. This is so important for this young church at Thessalonica because Paul, Silas and Timothy, their mentors, the church planters, their inspirational leaders had been driven out of town and they were now all the way over in Corinth and they left this young bunch of new converts together at Thessalonica by themselves. And so Paul wants to remind them over and over again, these are brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. You are family. You're not alone. And so the letters we're reading and we have been reading over the last 10 weeks are really family letters written by Paul to his brothers and sisters in Christ at Thessalonica. And so because they're family letters, Paul invites them into the process of prayer. Is what we do for one another as family. We pray for each other. And at the end of this passage, in return, he has a prayer for them as well. But prayer is one of the most loving things that we can do for one another. In a community like this, we can provide for each other practically. We can cook meals. We can journey together. We can do coffee. We can listen to one another. And they're all wonderful things. And I encourage you to keep doing those things in MCGs and just in everyday life. But perhaps the most powerful thing we can do is to pray for one another. And do you know why that's the most powerful thing? Because if you look outside, everything you see was created by a powerful God. The trees you see, the sky you see, the stars that he flung into the sky, the sun, the moon, every blade of grass that has individually been designed by God. And most of all, every person you see has been designed by God. And so when we pray, we need to keep that perspective that we're praying to a magnificent, wonderful, massive God. And yet at the same time, he's our Abba Father. And so not only do we say he can, but we also know he cares. And so as we pray, it's a really powerful thing because our issues that seem so massive, when you hold them up against a God that big, they start to fade in significance, knowing that God can do all things. We have a God who laughs in the face of the impossible. And so prayer is not just a token exercise because when we do it, we're speaking to a God who can do all things. And so when we pray, we should do so with great expectation and great faith that we have a God who listens and a God who can and a God who cares. And so we should remember that prayer is powerful. When we pray, things change. 
hearts are transformed, miracles happen, communities are reached, people are saved, needs are met. All these things are possible for our God. And so we should regularly and faithfully pray for one another. Now, when I say that, I don't just mean posting on Facebook, praying. You know, someone puts up the post and everyone just says, praying, 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 praying. Well, it's confession time. I used to say years ago, praying, and I wasn't praying. I was posting. And I'd post praying and I would look spiritual and I wouldn't pray. And, and that was just what I used to do. But I was challenged one time in a message that I should be a person who has integrity. When I'm saying I'm going to pray, I should pray. And so now if you receive a text message or a Facebook post from me saying praying, I guarantee you I have prayed because I want to make the time to actually consider what you're asking prayer for and then prayerfully bring that to God and trust that he's going to do something in your circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean I've prayed for you for an hour. Sometimes it's just a very quick prayer. Lord, I pray that you be with them in this situation. I pray that you change that, you do this. But sometimes it is longer, but there's always prayer. And it's really important that we have integrity when it comes to praying for one another because posting the word praying on Facebook and then doing nothing does nothing. But posting the word praying and then praying could change everything. And so I want to encourage you to be people that pray for one another. John Stott says Christian fellowship is expressed in and deepened by our prayers for one another. And so Paul invites his brothers and sisters in this young church into the process of prayer because he knows prayer can change everything. And I think he also knows that prayer is not just an individual pursuit, but it's also a family activity. And so that's why we do things like pre-service prayer. and We pray in MCGs and we pray you know, um, with one another because we know that prayer individually is a wonderful thing. Prayer together is also a wonderful thing. And God calls us into both of those pursuits, an individual pursuit and a family activity. And so to his family, he writes this letter and he says, I want you to pray for me. And the first thing he wants prayer for is he says, I want you to pray for gospel impact. In verse 1, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, family, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And so bearing in mind, Paul and Timothy and Silas had planted this church in Thessalonica. They had visited that region. They had faithfully preached the gospel. They had prayed for the people. And these people had responded by honouring the word of God and putting their faith in Jesus. And that's why this young church plan exists. And so you're now saying, what has happened with you, this gospel impact that we've had through the power of the Holy Spirit, we want that to happen everywhere we go. And so as a family, we invite you into that prayer that you would pray for us that the gospel impact would spread in all the regions that we visit. Now, what I love about Paul's prayer request is that there's many other things he could have requested prayer for. He was having a pretty hard time in his own life, but his prayer, first and foremost, was primarily kingdom-focused. He was having a really tough time in Corinth and it would almost seem naturally for him to ask for personal things because that's commonly the focus of our prayers. We start with all the needs that we have. For many of us, our, prayers, our prayer lives consist of requests in times of crisis. Dear Lord, help me in this exam that I have not studied for. Lord, get me out of this situation I've got myself in. Lord, help me with this job interview. Lord, help me feel better. Lord, help me find a life partner. Lord, help me have a bigger bank account. Lord, me, 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 me. And there's nothing wrong with bringing our requests to God. Don't, don't hear me wrong this morning. That's a great thing to do. But it's a problem if our prayer life stops there. We only ever pray about what we want, and we don't actually have kingdom things in mind. 
You see, often our prayer lives reveal our hearts. Prayer often becomes a reactive, defensive mechanism in times of need rather than a proactive, offensive weapon in times of opportunity. Let me say that again. Prayer often becomes a reactive, defensive mechanism in times of crisis and need rather than a proactive, offensive weapon in times of opportunity. Paul is serious about gospel impact. He wants this glorious news of Jesus Christ to go and transform people's hearts. And it's the number one thing for him. And I think if we're serious about gospel impact, it will be a primary thing in our prayer as well. If we're serious about reaching this region and expanding this family, if we're determined to be a blessing in our community, if we're going to live out our vision to see the name of Jesus lifted high over this region, if we want to see the gospel spread rapidly through Officer and Pakenham and Berwick and Beaconsfield and Clyde and Warrigal and to the ends of the earth, then prayer is powerful and it's also a must. And I really believe that as we look to the future, when we look back in 10 years' time, I think our impact will directly correlate with our prayer. Little prayer, little impact. Big prayer, big impact. That's how powerful prayer is, as we seek the heartbeat of God. Paul could have brought forward a whole lot of legitimate needs and concerns for himself as a primary request, but notice what he asked for. He asked for the gospel to spread rapidly and to be honoured. And I pray that that would be our primary prayer as well. The gospel was the greatest treasure of Paul's heart. It was the fruit of his lips. It was the motivation of his life and it was the priority of his prayer to see people's lives transformed by the extraordinary love and grace of Jesus Christ. I wonder what our prayer lives reveal about our hearts. This gospel impact prayer was a timely prayer for Paul and his culture and his circumstances and I would like to suggest today as we fast forward a couple of thousand years, 2017, it's no less an important prayer for us today in our circumstances, in our culture. And here's the interesting thing. Paul invites this Thessalonian church to pray, his brothers and sisters, that the gospel message would continue to spread rapidly. And as we consider the rest of the New Testament and church history since that point, it wouldn't be unreasonable to assume that God heard their prayers. Because prayer is powerful. And I think for us, we can encourage ourselves today that God will hear and respond to our prayers as well. What a challenge we have. What a mission that we're all part of. I want to encourage you to make Paul's family prayer our family prayer because this mission we have together to share the good news of Jesus is the greatest mission we can ever have, but it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Paul and it won't be easy for us. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like the, the world's agenda doesn't kind of match up with God's agenda. And so they're going to collide like this all the time. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a slog to share the good news of Jesus. And so this brings us to the second part of Paul's prayer. He first of all prays for gospel impact, and he second of all prays for God's protection. In verse, uh, the opposition Paul and faced was intense in his life. Various times in Scripture, he was thrown in prison, beaten, flogged. He was spat on. He was unjustly treated. People were hunting this guy down everywhere he went. They were accusing him. They were hating on him. They were trying to kill him. And so in verse 2, he prays for God's protection. He says, And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, right now, we're in a time of history where we're facing a seismic shift, I think, in cultural norms and in um, religious sentiment 
And for many years, Christians have kind of ridden the, the, the comfortable, uh, happy wave of Christendom, and it's been kind of, we've been part of the majority, and it's been kind of easy and simple, and that hasn't been all positive by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been pretty much, it's been an easy journey. But as we've been riding this wave in the last few decades, it feels like the waves have stopped and now they've turned around and they're now actually coming in our direction and they no longer feel like a wave, they feel more like a tsunami and it can be a little bit stressful thinking, wow, we're part of a huge minority now, how do we live for Christ in a changing world? And I think that's a really good question to ask because people are not only disinterested in religion anymore, but in so many ways they're also aggressively opposing it. Is where Hayden's message again last week uh, was a great message. If you weren't here, you can listen to it on the podcast, but it was really inspiring. And the number one point was to stand firm. And as the tsunami heads our way, we need to be people who are willing to stand firm on the Word of God, remembering that we are standing on the foundation of a God who cannot be shaken. This is what Paul says to this young church in these trials. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, in this current climate, I think we'll find many people who oppose us, perhaps even hate us. And I think we need to reconsider how we navigate through life, living for Christ in this world that is changing all of the time. And I think Paul's statements here are helpful because he talks about the people who oppose them, but then reveals who's really behind it all. So if you look in verse 2, he says, I pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. In other words, there were awful people doing some awful things. And I think every period of history has that as a common denominator. There's always going to be awful people doing awful things. But he then goes on. That's plural, people. But then he goes on individual in verse 3. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Singular. And so there's these people doing these evil, wicked things. But really, God will protect you from the one and that is Satan or the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 makes this clear. It says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which is all driven by Satan. And so as Christians, in a world that's changing, we need to remember who our enemy is. You know, I often cringe when I watch conversations on social media between a Christian and a non-Christian. And often it starts with the Christian stating an opinion, the non-Christian attacking them and calling them names for their opinion, which, which just happens all the time now. But, but I cringe at the response of the Christian because then they throw back a whole bunch of venom, which is worse than what they got in the first place. And they treat that person like they're an enemy. And I think it's a misunderstanding of who the ultimate enemy really is. Jesus says, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. But at the same time, Scripture says to put on the spiritual armour and wage war against the devil. And so we're part of a spiritual battle that's raging around. We live oblivious to it most of the time, but it's raging around us. And the devil is waging war against people's souls. And the question we've got to ask is, are we up for the fight? The Life Application Commentary says the spiritual battle rages intently for people's souls, and Satan does not easily let go of his own. And so those people on Facebook who they're fighting against are the very people they should be fighting for in prayer. And we need to remember that, that we're fighting for people that don't know the Lord. When we keep this perspective, it helps us to keep loving people even when they do the wrong thing, even when they come against us. We can keep loving people, but we're reminded to wage war against the enemy, armed with the word of God and filled by the Holy Spirit. So we can be confident that the Lord will strengthen and protect us when we trust in him.
And so Paul asks his family to pray, first of all, for gospel impact and God's protection. But now he finishes with an encouragement and a prayer for them. And he prays for God's direction. In verse 4, he says, We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. And he says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Now, let me start with an encouragement for you, because I could say the same thing that Paul said to the Thessalonian church to you guys that follow. Because I am constantly inspired by the passion that people have in this room for Jesus. I'm inspired by the way you sacrificially serve and give and pursue him with your lives. And it's a really encouraging and inspiring thing. When you start a church, you don't know what it's going to look like, but I couldn't in my wildest dreams imagine it would look like what it looks like right now. And that's because God has worked in your heart and you're pursuing him. So the word of encouragement, I'll say it to you as well, that I have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and you will continue to do what he's commanded. But then Paul finishes with this prayer of encouragement. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I don't know if you've noticed, but our hearts have a tendency to wander. Now, they have a tendency sometimes to do good things, but a lot of the times they wander towards things that would displease God, things that are wicked. You know, people say, Oh, he's got such a good heart. Now, the truth is, none of us have got a good heart. At the core of who we are, we're wicked. We have a heart that's been tainted by the power and the impact of sin. And it's only when Christ comes into our life and redeems our heart that it can truly live for him. And so there's no such thing as a good heart unless God has impacted it in some way. The truth is that we walk away from him. Uh, the Gospel of Mark says that our heart, from our hearts come every evil thought and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery. And our hearts just by themselves seem to gravitate to things that take us away from God. When we put our faith in Jesus, it says that he takes a heart of stone, a heart that was dead to the things of God, a heart that had become hardened to God, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh that starts to beat with the heartbeat of God. When our heart is alive in Christ, we become sensitive to the Spirit, and Jesus will direct us away from sin and into what this describes as God's love. Now, you are, most of you are residents of Cadinia Shire, and you'll notice that Cadinia Shire is the shire of perennial roadworks. <laughs> I guarantee you this, you will never do a drive in Cadinia Shire without encountering roadworks somewhere. The other day, I was conducting a wedding on Friday in um, Yarra Junction, so I was going up all the hills through Gembrook, and you know, if you've ever been up there, it's just windy, there's trees everywhere, and you just wind up this place, and I thought, this is nice. No roadworks. And then I came around a corner, and I see the 40 sign. <laughs> Slow down, there's roadworks. And in the middle of the forest, I mean, I saw Robin Hood go past. In the middle of the forest, there's still roadworks there. And I'm stuck behind this guy. And you have these guys that they call traffic directors. You know, they have the sign, don't they? Stop, slow. Stop, slow. All day, stop, slow. And it's a great job. Many people probably love it. I couldn't do it. It would do my head in. Stop, slow. What time is it? It must be almost... Knock off time. Two past nine. Stop. <laughs> Slow. Stop. It'd just do your head in, wouldn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a job that would be difficult, and I think for me it would be very monotonous, but I'm also very grateful for those people who stand there and do stop. Slow. Stop. Slow. Because they're actually keeping us safe. Sometimes they detour us away from danger, and they help us to get on our journey safely. I think what this passage is talking about is that the Lord Jesus directs our hearts. He's like the divine traffic director. 
And he grabs a hold of our heart that's been walking away from him into dangerous places that dishonour God. And Jesus, he redirects our hearts back to not just safety, but back to the glorious love of God. Isn't that awesome? That we were lost, but now we're found. And Jesus, when we keep being led by the Holy Spirit and relying on him, he'll keep directing our hearts back to God's love for us. That's an awesome thing. You know, a few weeks ago, I, was, I encountered one of these traffic directors, and some of them are really passionate. You know, like, yeah, they give you a nod, and they're really happy. But this guy, his heart wasn't in it. I came around the corner, and I swear he was in a coma standing there. He just slipped into a standing coma. And I came around, and I kind of startled him. He was like, what's that? It's a car. And then he had this panicked look on his face, like, which way am I holding the sign? And he looked at the sign, and it was the wrong way. And he's like... And then he just went back to... Uh, he just wasn't interested in what he was doing. That's not the kind of traffic director God is. That's not what Christ does. Man, he's passionate about us. He wants the glory of God to be known. He wants us to encounter a relationship with him. So he is passionately directing us back to the love of God. And the way he directs it is not like that. The way he directs us is like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father and his love except through me. Jesus is our divine traffic director. We need to look to him. We need to trust in him for our eternal salvation and for the glory of God. One of the greatest human needs, I said before, of the human heart is to belong, but perhaps the only greater need we have is to be truly loved. This is a love that can only be fully found and realized in God because the Bible says God is love. You want to know love? Look at the cross. See a saviour who loved you so much that he gave his life for you, a father that would give his own son. If that was my choice and it was my son, you guys would be in a lot of trouble. But God gave up his most precious possession for us. Jesus directs us into that love. Today we've heard two great testimonies of people who've had their hearts changed. That heart of stone has become a heart of flesh. They've been redirected by Christ into the immense love of a father God and they'll never be the same again. Perhaps you're here today and you've never experienced that. You've been searching for love. You've never encountered the love of God. I want to tell you today that you can encounter that as well. And it's simple. Say, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me on the cross, that you took my sin, that you paid my price. Would you come and be my Lord and Saviour? And in that moment, you come into that place where you will spend eternity in the presence of God who created you and loves you. The Lord directs our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance as we live out his purpose for our lives. And this is my prayer for Ashley and Gemma today. And it's my prayer for each one of us that the Lord would continue to direct our lives and that we would live and love together as the family of God because we're not just a church. We're a family. Let's pray. Well, God... What a wonderful day it is. Not only do we look out the window and see beautiful weather that you've provided and don't just live in a beautiful part of the world, but today we've been able to celebrate as a family a milestone for two precious sisters in Christ, Ashley and Gemma. And Lord, I want to thank you for that, for their testimony, for what you've done in their heart and life. And I want to thank you for what you've done in so many of our lives as well. And today, Lord, I want to pray for every person here that each of us would encounter and be directed by Jesus into the love of God. I want to particularly uphold anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, that you've never accepted what he did for you at the cross. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. But when we put our faith in Jesus, all that is forgiven 
And the Bible says we become the righteousness of Christ. In other words, when we stand before God one day, he no longer sees our sin, our mistakes, our failures, or our shortcomings, but he sees the righteousness of his own perfect son. And he says, come, I have a place prepared for you. What a wonderful day that will be. I just want to pray right now for anyone who may want to accept Christ as their Lord and Saviour today. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to give opportunity. If you have not ever come to that point, you want to leave this place today saying, yes, I know that I am loved by God, that I have been accepted by him, that I have been chosen by him, and that I am part of the family of God. I'd like you just now to lift up your hand and say, look, that's me. Is there anyone here this morning the Holy Spirit's working in your heart? And you go, yep, I've come to that point. I want to be part of a family. I want to be part of this family, family of God. I don't want to prolong this. I don't want to rush it either. Lord, I just thank you for today. Um, we just pray that as we finish worshipping you, that you would be honoured in all that we do. And I pray for, for each of us, those that have already put in their faith in Jesus, I pray that we'd be encouraged and reminded of that incredible truth today. And for those that maybe haven't, I pray that you continue to work in their heart, encourage them, be with them, that they would see you. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.